Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am thrilled to welcome Art Taylor to the podcast today. Art is the author of the story collection, The Boy Detective in the Summer of 74 and Other Tales of Suspense, and of the novel and stories On the Road with Dell and Louise, winner of the Agatha Award for Best First Novel. He won the 2019 Edgar Award for Best Short Story for English 398 Fiction Workshop, originally published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, and he's won three additional Agatha Awards, an Anthony Award, four McCavity Awards, and four Derringer Awards for his short fiction. He's an Associate Professor of English at George Mason University. Welcome to the podcast, Art. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm really delighted to talk to you. And, uh, you know, many of the people who've been on the podcast write short fiction, but you really uh, excel at that art form. So I want to talk about that and dive into it. But uh, I'm going to start where I always start. Uh, When did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? Um, You know, very early on, uh, I was a big reader, like so many folks who turn out to be writers. And the adventures that I went on with reading when I was younger, whether it was picture books originally or as I delved into mystery, Nancy Drew and the three investigators. And um, those experiences that I had were things that were so formative to me, as formative as what happened in real life to me. Um, and I kept thinking, I want to give that same experience to somebody else that I'm getting on the page. And the book, even as an artifact, just holding it was such a treasure. And I wanted to have mm-hmm. a book of my own with my name on it. So from a very early age, I started writing. But originally, it was poetry. It was not mystery stories, though I did go in that direction. But it was just kind of a joy of playing and writing and all like that. Later on, I began to focus more specifically on mystery, kind of kind of go toward, again, that reading that I loved and wanted to write. Um, but it was from a very early age. So you were a word nerd from the, a very early age, as so many people are. But uh, talk about your your path on your creative writing, uh, you know, poetry and playing with form and doing things. How did you end up in crime fiction? Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you say word nerd. Uh, I remember when we did diagramming sentences. I don't think they do that anymore in school. But when we did diagramming sentences in Mrs. Travis's class in my you know, junior high school, I would go and just diagram sentences myself for fun because I liked the, the feel of the words, the, 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 the syntax, the language, the rhythm. And that has always, whatever the, the, the plot has been one of the things that I, that I focus on quite a bit. Um, two things uh, led me to crime fiction primarily, though it, it took a little bit of a, a detour. Um, one was I mentioned Nancy Drew. I mentioned Three Investigators. Mm-hmm. I did not mention the Hardy Boys, which the books are not as good as the Nancy Drew series. That's a different story. But <laughs> but I read those. Um, and then um, in middle school, actually it was probably late elementary school, we had this magazine subscription drive 
um, for the, the school to raise money. And I did not do a very good job of selling magazines. I may have sold my mom a subscription to something. But I did subscribe myself to Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine because I, I, was, I was fascinated by it. And that was kind of a first step in a couple of ways toward adult mm-hmm. mystery fiction on the one hand, but also toward the world of the short story. Um, that was formative in many ways. So it would point to those three things as formative in my reading. Now, I say a detour. When I was, as all of us are, when we're in school, you know, I was not reading mystery fiction in the classroom. Instead, you're reading Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor and Ernest Hemingway, and you could go on a list there. And so for many years, I thought, well, that's what a writer should write. That is what we're aiming for. And so I was writing that kind of story um, somewhat, you know, and, and at that age, kind of coming of age sort of stories primarily. And then one of the stories that I wrote, I realized that what it wanted and needed was, again, to go back to the writing that I loved. It needed the suspense. It needed the, mm-hmm. um, the, the mystery element, the crime element. And so in some ways, that detour brought me to a different place. That interest in the language and the words and the plot, on the other hand, kind of helped me become the writer that I wanted to become. Now, that first story that I got published was after college. Um, it's hard to believe it was this long ago. It was in, in December 1995. Um, Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine published a story, Murder on the Orient Express, a title you may recognize. Um, <laughs> it does make reference to the Agatha Christie story, um, but it, it was a story uh, you know, that, that had a death in it, that had suspense in it, I think, um, but a, a lot of the attention you know, was on, for me, some of the storytelling and the characters and the relationship. And, and what they were doing on that train. <laughs> and do, I love that you named it that because that's bold. And that's also probably uh, something, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that people had opinions and, and, you know, read it expecting, or is it an homage? But I, I too love that. Uh, I love that you named it that. Well, what's funny is, um, and, uh, you know, I, for a while there and around the same time, you know, I was writing uh articles for the armchair detective, um, and about mystery, uh, fiction and got to know Margaret Marin at that time. And so Margaret, Mm. who was a a good friend, a great mentor, I asked her when I was writing the story, I said, can I, can I use that, that title? And she said, titles can't be, you know, you can't put a copyright on a title. She said, you're fine to use that. Um, and there are references to Agatha Christie, uh, in there, but she was the, she was the first one who, who kind of, she was giving me some first advice there. Uh, and is also one of the first people that encouraged me to, to join Sisters in Crime. That's another story, another question I know. But <laughs> Well, she was uh, one of the founders and, yep. and one of the, you know, she was president and we could certainly talk about her now. I mean, she, she um, uh, passed away last year, but uh, had an amazing career, not just as a writer, but also as a mentor and as a advocate for the genre and as a, uh, you know, supporter of emerging writers, uh, you know, her legacy is beyond her books. Absolutely. Um, and I know that she's missed by many. Yep. And, yeah. and she was, she was terrific. I, I, I say a mentor to me, a mentor to so many people and an inspiration to so many people. So absolutely. Yes. Yeah. One of my favorite stories about her is when Sisters in Crime was founded, she sent, I think it was Sarah Paretsky, a roll of stamps uh, to help with the mailing of things. Um, you know, that was, she was just an early, 
early yep. adopter and early fan, and and uh, as I said, a, an important voice uh, in our history, but also in the genre. Yep, uh, for sure. And a lovely person. I mean, if you went to Malice Domestic at some point in your life, you you were likely fortunate enough to see her on a panel or speak with her. And she uh, really, really a good person. Yeah. So when you're talking about your short stories and your writing career, I, I, you know, I need to to ask you also about your academic career. Were you all pursuing that at the same time? Because academia and genre fiction aren't always, uh, don't always do the tango, uh, with, with precision. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of directions, uh, to potentially go in and, and trying to answer this. Um, first I did not plan on going into academia at all. Um, when I was in my mid thirties, um, I, you know, some of my background was in, in journalism, um, in PR and marketing, I worked in PR and marketing for the North Carolina mm-hmm. Museum of Art in Raleigh. And while I was there, um, I, I decided that that the writing I wanted to do that I'd kept putting on the back burner for too long, that I treated as a hobby as opposed to a passion or or a profession. Even I needed to bring it to the front burner, and so I started taking yeah. classes at North Carolina State University, just a really a workshop at a time to get myself writing, to get to be part of the community there. Um, in the process of that, somebody finally took me aside and they said, you know, if, if, if you were to fill out the registration forms, you can get a master's degree for this as opposed <laughs> to just taking the classes. And I did. And then another student, another student, another professor encouraged me to apply to the MFA program and specifically the one at George Mason, among others, um, because of the, the, of the program here because of the uh, professors who were there. Um, and so I did. And that mm-hmm. was a big step for me because I actually quit my job, immersed myself in the graduate program, immersed myself in the idea of, of writing at the forefront, the front burner. Um, and as part of that, I ended up teaching in the classroom just as a, as a TA, you know, they help to, as a, you know, they pay for your graduate studies and you, teach in return. So I'd never planned to be a teacher, but I did in that case start teaching and that led to something that I do love, which is uh, is is now being a, a professor full-time, um, assistant associate professor at Mason and assistant director of the creative writing program there. So I'm trying to pass along now to other students some of the same things that, that I got. That's one direction there. And we can talk more about the teaching I do because I do teach suspense writing and I do teach Crime fiction is literature in there. But you're right. In a lot of cases, MFA programs are looking in the same way I did at the idea of what is literary and genre is not. I see that changing a fair amount in the MFA programs I see. And even what Mason, you know, a lot of our third year um, MFA students right now are writing speculative fiction, uh, science fiction. That seems to be where they're leaning more than suspense fiction, though we also get horror. We also get some suspense. And I think MFA programs across the country are beginning to recognize this is something that students are wanting to write, the idea of what I read, what I love, what I want to write. And so they're helping to foster that as opposed to pushing the big L literary, this is what we've got to do. Um, So I think those things are changing as well. Academia, though, um, at at times does look a little askance at genre fiction um, still, despite some of those changes that are taking place. 
Well, it's exciting to hear about those changes uh, and and the acknowledgement and the embrace of um, of different genres. I mean, Kate Flores says that literary is just another genre. Yep. <laughs> so, I agree. but but, um, but that people can find their path and get trained. I mean, get trained as a writer, which is what what these programs are about. They're about honing your skill and developing your craft, and there are many ways of doing um, that, but that is certainly one avenue. And if you can pursue the path that you want to write, that's that's even better. Yeah. You know, I taught a course, is the second time I've taught it on writing suspense. It's an undergrad course. That's mostly what I teach. Um, and suspense is goes in a lot of different directions. Whatever you're trying to write, suspense can be part of it. Absolutely. And what's funny is I had a uh, one of the grad students reached out and said, hey, can I, can I can I sign up for your undergrad course? And I was like, hey, probably sure. And then he spread the word to somebody else. And pretty soon I had five grad students in the class as well. So it became like a, a mixed class. But it's because some of those students were wanting to write in those directions and they wanted some yeah. guidance. And it's, it's, it is a fun class to teach. I have a great time. Well, and you're, I love that you said that suspense can be part of so many different types of writing because that's absolutely true. I mean, mystery and suspense are at the heart of so much fiction that we read in school, um, you know, back in the day <laughs> that, uh, you know, that's what keeps you reading. Charles Dickens was a mystery writer in many, many ways. One of the things I tell my students, and some of them are writing suspense, um, thrillers, horror, what we, we think of more generally as suspense. But I tell them, I said, whatever you're writing, and I agree with what Kate said about literary just being another genre. There are certain things we expect from that. But whatever you're writing, you want the reader to turn the page and then turn the next page and then turn the next page. And that's driven by what do I, what do I know? What do I want to know? Or what am I invested in emotionally and what's going to happen that may endanger the thing I'm invested in emotionally or what could fulfill the thing I'm invested in emotionally? I say thing, but it's, you know, it's character at the core of that. How do we connect with characters? How do we want to follow them on a journey? And, and if they're walking in this direction, how do we keep the reader walking with them? Right. Well, all right. What fascinates me about your writing uh, journey is that you are really an expert at the short fiction, which is different um, than writing a novel. Uh, and But many people do both uh, mm -hmm. or, or try to do both. I, I think writing short fiction is its own art form. And Sisters in Crime is really fortunate because you've been um, teaching, you've got a four-part workshop that we're doing webinars on uh, about writing short fiction. So for members, the first two are in the archives and the next two will be coming up this year. But um, I can we talk about short fiction as the art form? Because it is so much harder than people think <laughs> um, to do well. Yeah, there's, um, you know, short stories uh, are very different, as you said, from novels. You know, one of the, the, mm -hmm. the shorthand ways I describe it is the novel obviously accumulates things. We have more characters. We have more subplots. We have more conflicts. You can talk about your three-act structure and the way that that, that works. With a short story, a lot of it is subtractive rather than additive. You're cutting it down mm -hmm. to what are the things that we need here? You know, do I need this extra character? Can I fold that character in in another way? 
how many how many scenes do I need to get? How many words do I need? And obviously, you know, the, the, if a word count is five thousand words for a call for submissions, and you've written a ten thousand word story, you've got to start cutting down. Um, one of the things yeah. that's, that's coming up is to look at prose, and even at that level, the idea about well, what detail will do the work of these three details. You know, how can I take this and make it snappier? What does the reader know? It is a very different process to try to write short at that level of what's, you know, uh, uh, what's essential, what's economical, um, as opposed to, to writing the novel. Um, my brain seems to, for better or worse, to be geared that way um, more than anything else. I've heard people say, I can write a novel, but writing a short story is tough. Abby Vanderveer, um, who edited the, you know, the new um, Midnight Hour anthology. Yeah. Um, and just wrote something for the first two pages blog series that I run said she thought people that write short stories are genius because she can't write less than 40, 60, 80,000 words. Um, it is a challenge. And, and I hope the webinar series is, is helping some folks that are wanting to try that, um, to try it. I'm going to add a, a, a little bit of extra something there. I think a lot of folks see the, the short story as, an apprenticeship to the novel. And in many ways it can be because you're learning how do I shape character on the page? Um, you know, how do I, how do I get a plot going? And if I can do it in a small way, I can do it in a big way. And there are tools that you can learn writing a short story as that apprenticeship, but they are two very different things, I think. And, and the, the, uh, the differences are, are manifold. Well, and I, I hear what you say about the apprenticeship. A lot of people also look at short stories as the opportunity to get their first publication credit. Absolutely. Um, and which is terrific, but it is um, the masters at the craft uh, are, are people to marvel at because it is about subtracting, but you don't feel like it's less when you're reading it. You still get that rich detail and the characterization and everything else. It's just with fewer words and 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 more evocative prose and and calling on other sense memories in a much more meaningful way. Sure, absolutely. And and your point is right. I think the idea of publication credits. And I want to give a shout out um, to the Sisters in Crime chapter anthologies that are out there. You know, I'm in the Chesapeake mm -hmm. chapter and uh, have been published in several of those volumes. It's a thrill for somebody who has their first short story coming out to be alongside people in our chapter, for example, you know, like Donna Andrews or Barb Goffman or Marcia Talley, and to have the veteran writers and the first-time writers there, and that helps to promote that name to somebody else. And in the process, they get to learn about the editing process and the book publication process and the release and the marketing. And, and so I think there, there are great things there, particularly from a business angle um, that can be learned in addition to being um, from a craft angle. But yes, um, it, it is different. And, you know, it, part of it is, is like, I don't want to say sleight of hand, but I think there are some, some tricks that can be done um, you know, Chekhov to go, to go big L literary, you know, Chekhov always said, you know, don't show me the moonlight, show me the glint of the moonlight on the, whatever the phrase is on the, the, mm -hmm. the window. But all of a sudden, even in that, you're getting to see more of the world in one motion, in one line, than you would if you had to step through several lines. And I think a lot of it is to find the detail that suggests the larger world, um, or the larger character or the world beyond the page, 
you know, a, 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 instead of a long flashback, a short flashback mention, um, a, yeah. a gesture toward the past or a gesture toward the future. And I think those things, if you fold them in in a deft way, hopefully make the short story feel much bigger because you're capturing a part of a bigger world and you're gesturing toward that bigger world. But that does take yeah. some different steps than what you do in a, in a novel. So can you tell me a little bit about your process when you're writing a story? I mean, so many anthologies have a something to write towards or an sure. idea or a theme or, or other things. But you also write for publication, Ellery Queen and Alfred Hitchcock and, and different, uh, different publications that they're, they're stories. How do you, how do you develop a short story? Do you write, when you write it, do you write long or do you, you know, are you just, does your brain work in 2,500 word chunks or <laughs> how does it work? Yeah, you know my um, my writing process is a mess uh, a, a little bit. Uh, I have to admit, um, and it, 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 I'm a slow writer. It takes a little while to get there. Um, ideas can come from a number of places. I love writing prompts or writing themes, and I, I particularly like that not only because it can help to inspire an idea, but it 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 also offers a challenge in some ways, and you're trying to meet that challenge. Um, but ideas can come from any place. I've had ideas come from dreams, from overheard conversations, uh, from other writers where I'm, I've, I've read a story that prompts an idea in my mind, mm-hmm. travel. So many different places that, that ideas can come from. As far as the writing of it, um, I don't always start at the beginning, which may sound odd. Um, you know, I write where where something catches my attention. That may may be the beginning. It may be the middle. It may be an end. It could be a conversation between two people. It could be a a moment of of some suspense. And then I'll begin to percolate in my head as much as I do on the page. You know, what is this story? What would happen next? Or what would happen before to bring this character there? A lot of times my uh, stories are much longer than, say, certainly than the final product, but much longer than, say, a call for submissions might ask for. And then it's a matter of, I mentioned subtractive before, a matter of, of cutting it down, finding what's essential, eliminating the things that, that, that may be distracting or, or slowing it down. Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's kind of the, of the process. Um, and a story emerges I think, uh, over time, uh, you know, a character in a situation begins to reveal herself and, or we come up with different conflicts for a character that we like to pile some trouble on there. One of the things that, that I, uh, sometimes have to remind myself is that a lot of this should be play. Um, and that's something that in my early days, I just loved to, to, to write. I mean, I'm talking about as a kid and as we get older, it, tends to be, in many cases, it is work. We have a deadline coming up. We've got to get it done. But I think that if we can retain a sense of, of, of play as we write and enjoy the process, then that's going to inform that, that final product and, uh, and please the reader uh, on the other side. Um, I'm rambling a little bit about process. One thing I will say is, you know, I always admire writers who can say, I'm going to write 500 words a day or a thousand words a day, or I'm going to devote three hours in the morning, every morning to writing. And, and I am not that kind of writer and I don't do well with it. Um, but, 
but I do think it's important to touch base on a project, whatever you're doing, because I think your mind works. And I mentioned so much of, of my work is, 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 is in my head as I'm walking around. I think your mind keeps working on problems and generating aspects of character or aspects of scene, whether you're sitting at the laptop or not. So you could spend five minutes, and I am not exaggerating, at the laptop making some notes on something, a sentence or two, but your mind for the rest of the morning could be conjuring things up. It's good to keep a notebook yep. handy. It's good to, to come back and get those notes down to keep that forward momentum by checking in every day when you can. Yeah, I've had a couple of conversations recently where people will use, you know, because they work, you know, they have a job and they're doing that, they'll use their phone and take notes mm -hmm. um, or, you know, have a notepad and they'll write things on hand just, uh, as you said, to when the muse shows up, make sure that you're doing it and, and you know, keep thinking about the the project. Do you work on more than one story at a time? Um, that's part of the mess too. Um, you know, I'm trying to write a, a, a second novel. Um, and so I've, I've got that project that's always ongoing, but I, I, I do get invited to, to short story anthologies or, or whatever. And so I will kind of put that on hold to work on something else. Um, but I try to work on, I try to work on one thing at a time and focus on one thing at a time as much as I can. Um, that doesn't mean that, uh, that I'm always start to finish on a project. I've had times, in fact, there was one story that I put aside literally for years. I wrote the first half of it, um, brought it to a, a, a small writing group I was, was working with at the time. I'm like, this is terrific. What happens next? I'm like, I don't have any idea. I don't know. And I couldn't figure it out. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call it writer's block, but it, but you, you could. And, and so I put it aside for a while and then suddenly came back to it. And the second half of the story was written as quickly, so to speak, as the first half, but just several years yeah. apart. Um, that story was a, a, a voice from the past. Um, it was published in Ellery Queen. It was the first time that I had gotten mentioned in the other distinguished stories in the best American mystery stories, which was a real honor and, um, and a hard a hard fault story there, but it took me some time to yeah. figure out what to do with it. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, I love talking to people about process and you see, you know, I'm, I'm watching you. We're, we're watching each other on zoom though. We're recording the audio and you light up when you're talking about process and, and sort of the magic of this. We don't talk about the magic of writing enough. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's true. And, uh, um, the process is always, I'm, I'm always fascinated what other people's process are. And of course you'll see this, you know, how do you write? Do you write with a, a pen and pencil? Do you write at the computer, right in the morning or at night? And you see those questions at, you know, author signings or on panels. And I think at the root of that, um, in a lot of cases, a lot of cases, just interest and curiosity, but in some cases it's a writer who's trying to figure out how do I do what you're doing? Um, yeah. And one of the things that, that, that I'm always interested in is what your individual process is like. I teach, obviously, as I've said, as we talked about, at Mason. And one of the things that I, I tell students is find your own process. Do you write better with music or in silence at a coffee shop or in your room? Do you write in the morning or at night? Do you write better X amount of time, this amount of time? There are many things. And I think that people need to find what works best for them. And that's, that's, uh, that's hard to do sometimes. 
Yeah. I also, you know, towards that, because you're right. So many times it's like, you must do this, you must do that. And there's no must on this, but also your process may work for a long time. Then all of a sudden it doesn't work again anymore. So you need to, okay, let me, let me try writing in the morning now because I've been writing at night and I'm too tired or, you know, you, you might need to, to shake it up a little bit to just get the cobwebs out. Yeah, absolutely. And let me also say, you know, we, we think of, as we're talking about this is, is it, 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 it is as if we can just pick what we do. I know so many of us, you mentioned people who are like, they're working day jobs. We are parents. We are, you know, we are pulled in different directions by, by yeah. family or other responsibilities. And sometimes it's like, well, I, I don't have the luxury or the leisure to make sure that I write from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock every morning or every night. Um, and this goes back to what I said about touch and base and, and not, not being hard on yourself if you can't put in those hours or get such and such number of words down. Um, you know, our son Dash is 10 now, but it uh, always stayed with me when he was first learning to walk. And the idea of when he took one step, we applauded. And it's like, well, that's just one step. He took two steps. We applauded more. Um and eventually he got where he was going, even yeah. if it took a while. Um, every step you take, every five minutes that you work on something, every note that you put down between, uh, you know, taking care of your child or running an errand, or if you're in the middle of the grocery store, write it down on your shopping list, that every step is a step forward and a step closer to where you want to go. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. Let's talk about as you, when you were honing your craft, the good and bad advice you got and the bad advice, uh, but also what, what's some other advice you give your students as you're encouraging them to, um, you know, to keep writing, as I said, it's a craft and we're lifelong apprentices when we're, uh, when we do a craft and, uh, you know, to encourage college students to not give up and to continue uh, is, is part of your job. So, so, you know, what kind of advice do you give them? But I'd also love to hear what you think is just terrible advice. Yeah. You know, the terrible advice kind of relates to what we were talking about. I, re I remember a professor, I won't name who it was, uh, but a professor, you know, who went around and asked people how much they had written the day before. And it was, it was, it was always a question about the day before or that day. And, and somebody said they hadn't had a chance to write that day. And this professor said, well, you're, you're, you're not going to be a writer at, at, at mm. that rate. Um, and very much advocated for a specific way of approaching process. That goes back to what I was saying. Find your process. Find what works best for you. Um, and, and trust that that's okay. Um, so I think the worst advice that I've had is that there is a certain way to write or a certain kind of thing that you should write. Um, and this goes back to also finding, you know, do I like the traditional mystery or do I like the hard-hitting thriller? Do I like domestic suspense? Do I like horror? Um, don't write to, to the trends. Don't write to the market entirely. So you have to be aware of the market. Um, write, write what you, what you love and what you want to do. So don't let anybody give you advice that says you must do blank because I don't think that works. Um, the best advice, you know, I come back and a lot of people, you know, trust this book so much, but, um, bird by bird, uh, Anne Lamott, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I won't say the word, but crappy first drafts, you know, the idea of get it down, 
make a mess. And then once you've got it all down, you can, you can see it, you can fix it. But until it's down, you're, you're, you don't have, you don't have the clay to work with. Uh, and then the, the bird by bird, as I said, a step at a time, uh, will get you where you need to go. Don't be overwhelmed by, I've got to write blank thousand words for a short story or even more blank thousand words for a novel. Instead, here's the scene I'm working on. Here's the character I'm crafting. Here's the, and and focus at that level. Um, in terms of advice for students, you know, a lot of it is, is related to that, you know, find your process, find what you love, write what you love. Um, I do encourage them to read widely. You know, if you love domestic suspense, then read a lot of domestic suspense and see how the the people that have come before you have done it. Draw from those models. Um, I'll even say steal, and I don't mean steal in terms of plagiarize, not that, but steal the the techniques and the strategies and the moves and make them your own um, so so that you can learn your craft. Um, and I also emphasize always in my classes, I teach workshops, uh, lead workshops, I should say, as opposed to teach workshops, but I always emphasize the importance of, uh, community, um, uh, and of the workshop process, you know, before we can find the readers that are out there reading our published work, it's good to run it by some folks whose, whose uh, judgment you trust, see what they think, see how they can help you. We think about writing as a solitary art. And it is you with the computer, um, but there's also a lot of people that you can lean on uh, for help, and uh, and that you can help yourself. And so that 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 emphasis on on the workshop and community are, are some of the things that I that I, I stress a lot to my students. Well, what a gift to them because the community aspect is something that you don't get told about enough because it is a solitary art. But honestly, having other writers in your life who you, who understand, you know, your family and your friends. Well, in your case, your family also understands, but your family and your friends um, want to support you and they care about you, but they don't understand how a rejection can be good because it came with a handwritten note or, (laughs) you know, how um, the feedback on a proposal might be devastating, but you know, it's actually really useful, uh, you know, or they can't quite understand how important that acceptance is. Um, So finding your community and really building it and being cheerleaders for them as much as you are for other people. And you're, you're really great at that. I mean, we got to, we're all in it together. We need to support each other. Yeah. And you know, we, we think about like the advice we give peer review, peer feedback, beta readers. Um, and it's you, the writer learn from reading your peers work and giving feedback to them that helps you as well as it helps them. It's a give and take in so many directions. And, um, and, and it, it, and it can be supportive emotionally. You mentioned about getting a devastating, you know, say a devastating editorial letter back here, are all the things you need to fix and you're in trouble. Well, you can turn to your writing group or your writing friend and, and talk it out a little bit, generate some ideas and boost your ego and your enthusiasm. So you can dive back into it again. Cause that's what we need. When you talked about uh, giving feedback in your workshops, do you help people learn how to do that? Because that's also a skill that as writers, you need to make sure you're getting the right people giving you feedback. You know, somebody who uh, isn't, doesn't want you to write what they want 
to write. They're, they want you to write your work better, if that makes sense. Ooh, it um, is so a how hard, do you t- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a hard thing to do. And the students, you know, the undergrad students that I'm teaching, uh, they do need to learn about how a workshop works. Um, and, and most of the students I'm teaching are very savvy in terms of storytelling, fortunately. Um, but they do need to learn how to give positive, constructive criticism. Positive first, I always emphasize, what's working here? And then yeah. what do you have questions about or what could be done better? I think that's more useful than just like, I didn't like this or that didn't work yeah. well. Instead, ask some questions. Um, there's a book that I, I teach, and I recommend it highly, particularly people who are writing uh, short stories. It's Madison Smart Bell's Narrative Design. Um, and it's a, it's a terrific book for, from a craft perspective. But I want to focus on, for a second, what he talks about in, the, in an early chapter, and it's about the, the problem of the workshop, which is you have people that come in with this messy and troubled but dynamic draft and then they get feedback from 20 people and they try to incorporate everybody's feedback. And in the end, what they get is lesser than what they started with. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things is that it is not just taking advice from the 20 people in the workshop as I, as I teach at, at Mason, but it's, it's listening to all of them and judging what is going to get me where I need to go, what is going to help mm-hmm. me fulfill my vision for this. And and where is a reader, a beta reader, somebody just kind of not getting what I'm doing? I'm going to add an asterisk to that, though, because I think it's also important if somebody doesn't get what you're doing to recognize, well, what are they saying and what can I take from that? But it is an evaluative process. It is not just here's a laundry list of things I got to fix. Let me go down that list and do it. Instead, it's like, here's my feedback. Let me step back and see where it is I want to go and how this can help me to get there. Um, and that's tough, both to emphasize to the person giving the peer review in workshop, think about what this person wants. It's also tough for the person that's getting the feedback and who feels maybe overwhelmed by everything they, quote, should do. So, And I think in a workshop, you, everyone is going to be reading each other's work. That's part of the contract of being in the workshop. But as writers are working on their own work, who you ask to evaluate your work and how you ask them to do that um, is really another skill that writers need to develop so that you can say what isn't working or or guide their feedback so that it's most helpful to you. Um, But if they don't read your genre or they don't, um, you know, I, I don't like this you, you know, I don't like this. I don't like horror, but I'll read your story. It's like, well, maybe if you don't like horror, you shouldn't read my story because I don't know how helpful it's going to be. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to picking who your writing group is, who's, who's giving you feedback. And, um, you know, on the the flip side of that, you don't want to pick somebody who is just going to say, this is great. I mean, it's nice to hear that, but you don't want to pick somebody who's just like, this is great. You want to get somebody who will give you, give you that constructive criticism, uh, as well. And this, in the workshop, in the classroom, we've got a ready-made group of students there, some of whom may give better feedback than others. But I have so many people that leave the workshop at the college level, and they're like, now how do I find somebody to read my work? Yeah. Um, And that's something I hear, you know, at, at, at Sisters in Crime meetings or at MWA meetings, people who are not in a workshop or don't have a writer's group, how do I form one? How do I find 
that group. And of course, those chapters are a way to find somebody whose work resonates with you and just ask, hey, can we exchange manuscripts? Yeah, no, it's such it's such a great way to to use other writers and to figure that out because it's so important. On your writing journey, what do you wish you'd known earlier? Um, you know, a part of it is a is a is a craft angle. You know, just the we always wonder, am I ever going to get published? Is anybody going to want to read this? And and we we I think it's easy to flail around and and, and worry about that. And so it's always good to know or good to have confidence that, yes, this will work if I keep working at it. Um, so that's uh, um, so that's a, a thing to just have trust and faith that things will work out and hope they will. Um, a couple of other things kind of more on the business side. You know, one is, and I, I hesitate to say this just because I think, you know, branding can can go a little bit too far, but... Uh, Ed Amar, um, who's actually going to be on the the next webinar that I'm I'm doing this in the short story series, asked me a question interview a while back. He goes, "Art, I know you write domestic suspense here and a traditional mystery there, and you've written some noir here. And do you ever worry about branding?" And I was like, "I I haven't thought about it, um, and probably I should have a little bit. You know, what do readers uh, want and expect? And the uh, and I, and I think it's good to go back to and think about." What is what kind of writer do I want to be? What do I want mm-hmm. to write? And then, and then try to focus in those directions. Um, I, I think can be helpful. Kind of further on the business side, you know, once you get to the idea of like a, a, a publisher and all. Um, I know there's a lot of folks who are working without agents. I did uh, for a while, um, but I think it's good to have an agent to help serve as a buffer um, on the business side. Let them handle as much as they can, um, some of those, uh, that oversight and, and, uh, and negotiations and things, uh, because we as writers are not always equipped to know what we're doing. Um, in some cases. Yeah. Um, and, and one more thing, you know, distribution, I will, I will say this from a, a publishing, I think distribution is something to look at. A lot of folks are eager to get a book out no matter who's publishing it. I just want to see it in my hands. That was one of the things that drove me, as I said early on, but, but, you know, do, and this having an agent helps with this, you know, do think about, well, how is that book going to find its way to somebody else? Yes. Yeah. It, that's, so this shows you're showing your marketing roots from, from your earlier careers. Right. Um, but that distribution question is something we don't think about enough. And, uh, it, it's so critical and so hard and there are ways around it and there's more opportunities now to get your book out into the world than there ever have been. But you've got to think about the business side as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, to show my marketing side, inevitably, you know, the other thing we think about is that writing as a solitary art. Well, I'm going to work at my laptop and then it will go out and then I'm done and I can move on to the next yeah. thing. Well, no, you're marketing, you're publicizing yourself, you're getting out there and making a blog tour. And so there's a lot of things that a writer does still need to do on a business side. Um, and so we got to be aware of that as well. Um, that's, that's something that you really need to know. I've got a friend who is an, an excellent uh, writer at the, the craft level, um, but is, is not always as involved with community, uh, is not always savvy about you know, getting his name out there and, and things like that. And it, and that's, that is part of the business these days. Yeah. 
It really is. Uh, it's it's part of the um, conversation that you're having with your readers and with the community in general. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And not easy. I mean, many uh, writers are introverts. Uh, you teach and that helps you get over being an introvert. <laughs> you may still be one, but you, you can fake it. Um, and, uh, and that's a, that skill being able to fake it, even if you feel at your heart that you're an introvert is a really important skill to develop as well. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, love this conversation. Let's just, you know, as we're, as we're moving forward, do you have a sense of how many, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. How many short stories you've published so far? Oh, gosh. Um, I figured it up at one point. Um, it, I, 50, 60, which oddly is not a lot compared to somebody like, you know, I think of uh, a couple of folks that I've, I've blogged with occasionally, Michael Bracken and John Floyd, who, you know, who are m- much more prolific in terms of writing. Um I'm a little slower, but it's, it's, I think it's 50, 60, maybe more. So. Yeah, no, it's an amazing body of work. And as you said, you're working on a novel that keeps getting interrupted <laughs> by other things. Um, and how do you stay motivated to keep writing that? Because, you know, the deadlines for many of these anthologies are given to you, especially when you're invited. They'll say, please Art, write this, but it's due August 31st. <laughs> um but how do you how do you stay motivated to write a passion project? Um, it, that is tough sometimes. You know, a deadline does a lot for people. And if I don't, if you know, if I'm not under contract, I'm not for a next novel. Then, and and with nobody waiting for it or guaranteeing they'll publish it, um, it's it's easier to keep momentum on something that you know may have a better chance of of being published. Yeah. Um, but I am yeah. I am connected to um, I have a couple of novel projects that I'm working on. And I am emotionally connected to those. I think that's part of the challenge as well. One of the, the pieces I'm working on is this novel set in a boarding school. And um, I went to boarding school. Um, it is not autobiographical. It does draw on some of my own experiences. And some of that is tough as well um, to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to kind of navigate, navigate some of that route between drawing on your own life, not having it be your own life and, and, and making sense of, of, of the mess of material that's out there. Um, but I think it's a story that, that I am emotionally invested in and, and it's eventually going to get out there. That's great. That's great. Well, good luck with that. Um, and with everything, um, you know, looking forward to seeing you hopefully in 3d at some conferences this year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, Speaking of introverts <laughs> becoming extroverts again, all of us who've been in our, our offices too long are now going to be back out yeah. in the world. It'll be fun. No, it's going to be something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for these fabulous webinars you're doing for Sisters in Crime and uh, and for the support you give the community in general. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a joy. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. 
Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.